We've been studying Second Peter for a little bit, and this last Wednesday, I gave a pop quiz for everybody who was here for our midweek service, and I'm going to give you the answer to this next week's pop quiz, and I'll, I'll give you a hint. It's the same pop quiz as it was before, and it's, what is Second Peter about? Uh, we've been studying it for a little bit, so hopefully we can all answer what Second Peter is about, uh, but... Peter himself tells us what Second Peter is about, which is very helpful. Uh, Peter tells us in uh, chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, that, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, both in which I stir up, by, uh, stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and the, commandments of, and the commandment of us, the, apostle, uh, the apostles of our Lord and Savior. And so he's writing not a new message, uh, he's writing an old message. It's a message that he's told them, and then told them again, and then he tells them that he's going to remind them again, because they needed a reminder of not what he thought about things, but of Jesus' words in particular, and the things that Jesus commanded the apostles in particular. And the reason why that was important, and this is the whole rest of the book, is that there would be people who taught contrary to that. Uh, for every true prophet, there's five false prophets, it would seem. Uh, people who were saying contrary things, opposite things, things that were not consistent with uh, the things that Jesus spoke or the things that uh, were commanded to the apostles. And so he's saying, I'm writing this uh, because a reminder is necessary. Uh, and in fact, uh, last uh, Sunday, Pastor Art went through the portion of Scripture where Peter tells us a little bit about uh, where he's at in his life when he was writing this. Uh, Peter was at the end of his life, and so he had an opportunity to share the same story more than once. Uh, and I'm not even that old, and I still tell the same stories more than once. So I apologize up front, but I also, uh, it's a common struggle. So <laughs> Peter is, is telling the same story, and he's like, I, I'm, I'm reminding you, and I will remind you, and when I leave, I'm going to leave a reminder for you and another person so that they'll tell you the same thing that I just told you. And the thing I just told you was something I already said. Um, but the reason why all of that was necessary is because uh, the, the power and the strength a lie can have when you forget the truth uh, is, can, can ruin a life. And that, that's why he's saying nothing new. He's reminding them of what they needed to know. And who he's writing to, he tells us, uh, in, uh, let's see, verse 1, uh, the second part of verse 1, he says, To those who have obtained a precious, uh, a like precious faith uh, with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's writing to believers. He's writing to people who know and who should know uh, better, and he's writing to them anyway. <laughs> and uh, for me, that's comforting. Uh, it was about uh, when I, the time in my life was I was in college when I started needing to write things down to remember them. Um, I'm not sure when that took place for you, um, but we all come to that place in life as we grow up that I used to be able to plan my whole week in my head and remember all of the things. And then that went away for me when I was in college. There was no kids involved. I was not married yet. It was just too complicated, and I needed to start writing things down if I was going to remember. And, and Peter, so likewise, writes down so that we would be uh, reminded of the things uh, that he has written uh, and that beyond that, that this message would be embodied in people who would remind them of that message. And this Sunday morning's sermon is fruit of that effort, <laughs> that we would have a reminder of these things. And 
uh, it's important for us, as I mentioned, to know the truth, uh, because when we know the truth, it's much easier to spot the lie. And uh, I can't tell you how often this happens uh, to me when I'm at work. I, I work at CVS, and there's about, on average, it's about one person a month comes in looking to buy four or $500 worth of gift cards to pay back some government agency over the phone. And if you're not aware, that's a scam. <laughs> uh, they've been told a lie, but I know the truth about how this works. And so I share that truth with people and try to convince them to not give their money to some person over the phone because they claim to be from a government agency. But it's because they don't know the truth that they believe the lie. Uh, in the same way uh, that my youngest son might believe that I can steal his nose, because I go like this, and there's some evidence right here that I've stolen his nose. <laughs> Hopefully that doesn't work on you anymore because you've grown to understand that that's not possible, right? You, you've grown in your knowledge of what is physically possible and not. Uh, but we need to know what the truth is in order to be able to spot the lie. And additionally, we need to, to know that not only does God speak, uh, but there are other voices who are speaking in the name of God who aren't from God. And that's why I've given uh, this sermon's title, that Christians heed God's word. Christians heed, they, they listen to God, <laughs> and, and they, they know that they're doing that uh, because of what Peter describes here. Uh, Peter's kind of mid-argument uh, is where uh, Pastor Art left off. He, he had... Uh, mentioned in the verses just before this, Peter did, that he was there on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus revealed himself. Uh, Jesus transfigured himself into his glory that he has in heaven. And they saw him. And, you know, the cloud descended and Jesus was there talking with Moses and Elijah about his decease that he would accomplish according to Luke, uh, which is Jesus' death was going to be an accomplishment, which you can't really say about many people's death being an accomplishment. But Jesus' death, you can. And Jesus was talking about that with Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets. Uh, he was talking with them about that. And Peter, we're told, not knowing what to say, said, and some of us can identify with that more than others, uh, Lord, it's good for us to be here. <laughs> Let's build a tabernacle for each one of these guys, uh, basically putting them all on the same level and saying, you know, I don't ever want to leave this place, which I can understand that, but putting them all on the same level and God interrupted him <laughs> and said, this is my beloved son, hear him. And God was saying something about Jesus in comparison to Moses and Elijah, who are representative of the law and the prophets, that there was uh, an order of importance <laughs> and Jesus was the one that they needed to be listening to. And beyond that, uh, Peter didn't need to be speaking. <laughs> he just needed to be listening. And so... Uh, Peter had this incredible uh, experience. I'm not sure if you were given the opportunity to be there at that time, if you would you know, wait in line for a few days just to like, see Jesus transfigured on, on a mountain and, and see him in his full glory and seeing him talk about Scripture with those whom God used to write Scripture in the Old Testament. That would be an incredible experience. And it's contrasting that experience that Peter continues with what I want to entitle for my first point is that God speaks. Notice how God speaks and how we can know that God is speaking there in verse 19. He says, and so we have the prophetic word 
confirmed. The work of prophecy confirms that Jesus is from God. The prophetic word confirmed. Another way uh, that some translations translate this piece, uh, because Peter was a fisherman and he wrote like a fisherman, and so the, the grammar is not super clear. And so there's different translations of this phrase. Uh, so the phrase we have in the uh, New King James is the prophetic word confirmed. Other translations translated uh, a more sure word of prophecy. And so as sure that Jesus is the son of God that Peter could be sure because he was there looking at him as the son of God and heard the father say, this is my son. <laughs> like that would be a pretty wild experience and I would be really confident that this, is, this Jesus is the son of God if I had that experience. What Peter appears to be saying here is more sure than that experience is what we can know from prophecy about what prophecy says about Jesus and Jesus' fulfillment of that prophecy. We have a more sure word of prophecy, or the prophetic word is confirmed. And there are over 300 prophecies, depending on how you parse them up. Some people say, you know, 315, others 360, depending on like how you want to define them. But over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that pro describe Jesus and his life, when he would be born, where he would be born, uh, the circumstances of his birth, life, death, resurrection, his whole life described in the Old Testament through prophecies hundreds of years before. And we have some of these books from when they were written hundreds of years before. Uh, the last time I had an opportunity to, I went to Israel, and in Israel they have uh, a scroll of Isaiah one of the books of the Old Testament, which contain a lot of the prophecies about Jesus, specific and unique aspects of his life, death and resurrection. And that copy of Isaiah is a few hundred years older than when Jesus came. So there's physical evidence that these prophecies were written beforehand and that Jesus fulfilled them. And some of them are so specific and so unique that nobody else can fulfill them now because they were time-bound. They were bound by time, by location, by heritage. And Jesus didn't nail just you know, two or three of them. He nailed all of them. One, uh, uh, for, uh, let's see what I said, a professor, uh, Pete Stoner, calculated the probability of any one man fulfilling just eight of these prophecies uh, as being uh, one, to, uh, one, 1 to 10 to the 17th power. That's a 1 with 17 zeros behind it. Uh, if you want a visual representation of what that is, you take the entire state of Texas, fill it up uh, two feet deep with silver dollars, and then take a random silver dollar, write your name on it, flick it out in the state, blindfold somebody, and they walk out there and grab it the first try. That's eight of the prophecies. There are 300 or more that Jesus didn't just get close, but he nailed precisely. How can we be sure that this Jesus is the promised one? Well, because there's lots of promises that he fulfilled in particular. And that, that's what Peter is saying here. We know that God has spoken because only God knows the future like that. And what God said about Jesus is that Jesus was going to be his final and clearest prophet. This is what Jesus said. He's like, I, I and the Father are one, and I only speak what the Father tells me. The reason why he said that is because that's what God had prophesied about in the Old Testament. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, 
uh, Moses prophesied that there would be another prophet like him and that we should listen to him. <laughs> and, and that's what Jesus is, is claiming. That's what the, the father told Peter. Is like, he, he's the one you need to listen to. He's the one who I said was going to come and perfectly represent me because as, as good as all of the other prophets were and as good as all the other pictures of what God is like were, they were imperfect compared to Jesus. And Jesus was a perfect representation of what God's heart and character and what his words and will were. The author of the book of Hebrews uh, said that in various times and in various ways that you know, God spoke through the prophets, but has in these last days spoken to us through his son. And this is what Peter is pointing to, that we can be sure that God has spoken and we can have confidence in his word because prophecy confirms it. Only God can know the future. And there's a lot that we can go, like this was one of the earlier questions I had in my own life. I was in high school and I was like, I want to know for sure that God sent Jesus and that this word is his word, like that's important to me. And uh, in high school, I had to write a paper called, uh, I think it was the stand or a research project or something like that. So I picked messianic prophecy or prophecies concerning the Messiah or the savior of the world. And I thought it would be like, I'm supposed to write a 10 page paper in high school, which is you know, a super big deal. And you're like, I don't know how I'm gonna do this. I hope there's enough resources out there. And uh, there, are, there were a few short, shorter books that I could recommend on the topic of uh, one's called More Than a Carpenter, where somebody's looking at Jesus's life in particular. That's where the illustration came from of the state of Texas and two feet of coins. He kind of goes through that at a higher level. But I, I, when I was doing my research on it, I found another book called All the Messianic Prophecies of the Bible. I'm like, sweet, this is the paper I wanna write. It is 360 pages long. The introduction is 30 pages long. And it's like, I can try to summarize the introduction maybe, <laughs> and then I'll have my paper. <laughs> but it is not a small topic. It is not insignificant in its importance. Peter is saying more than having the experience of seeing Jesus transfigured before you and hearing God, the Father himself, introduce him, saying, this is my beloved son, hear him, is what we have. So if Peter had to choose, he would choose what we have, not the experience he had. Because he's saying it's a more sure word. Peter then describes where this prophecies don't come from before he describes where it does come from. Uh, notice there in verse 20, he says, uh, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. Uh, there's a couple different ways that can be understood, but what uh, I believe Peter's trying to communicate here is that it wasn't somebody's thoughts or ideas that they started prophesying. They weren't uh, saying, oh, I think tomorrow it's going to be really hot. <laughs> well, that's a pretty good guess. <laughs> California, it's summertime. Tomorrow's probably going to be hot. Um, it's not them looking at you know, the, the political future, the, the economic future, and saying, I think this is what's going on, and that's the source of it. It's not uh, from their own private resources. That's what the, the false prophets would do. They would kind of think about what's going on and they would do their best guess at the future. And th that's what made a false prophet false is because they didn't actually know the future. They were just doing their best guess. They were, it was their own or their private interpretation of what was going on or what would happen in the future. And this scripture that we have wasn't from man's best guess at what the future would hold. In fact, there was prophecies about Jesus's life and death that didn't make sense to those who were studying it before Jesus came. They're like, how can he be a conquering king and also a suffering servant? 
How's, how is he going to suffer and die and also be a conquering king? I don't understand how, that's gonna, how both of these things could be talking about the same person. So they, some, some Jewish scholars at the time developed a, a two-Messiah theory where there was one Messiah who was going to come and suffer and die and another Messiah who was going to come conquer and rule because they seemed to be describing two different Messiahs. But that's not how they were presented in Scripture. They were presented in Scripture as one. And they're like, well, there must be two because they're so different. But that wasn't the case. But it was, it was kind of confusing to them because they, weren't, they didn't understand God's <laughs> and what he was doing. And God said, like, I'll show you what I'm doing. And God did speak, but he didn't speak through the wild imaginations of men. Notice what he says in verse 21. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, and oftentimes, uh, when I'm talking with people who aren't Christians or some who claim to be Christians but don't believe God's word to be God's word, they'll, they'll throw out, well, isn't, wasn't it just written by men? Uh, and the answer is no. It was written by holy men <laughs> who were moved by the Spirit of God. They didn't go and see a sunset and be like, oh, that's so inspirational, and then start writing whatever came to their mind. Uh, God poured out his heart through personality, uh, through different personalities, and, and the writing of his word. And, and here's my very, very short apologetic argument uh, for God being able to not only communicate to us, but even to preserve his word to us. Because uh, I was once asked this by <laughs> one of my coworkers, he was like, how do you know that this is God's word? And I was like, well, let's just do a three lines of logic. Um, if you understand some logic, the, the technical term is a syllogism where you have two truths that produce a third truth that if these first two are true, then this third one must follow. And I was like, do you believe that I can effectively communicate myself to you right now if I want it to? And he was like, yes. All right, cool. Do you believe God is greater in power and ability than I am? Yes, okay, cool. The logical conclusion is that if God wanted to speak to us, <laughs> he could do that. He could not only communicate himself clearly and effectively, but he could also preserve that same word, and he could show it to us as being his word through the mechanism of prophecy by telling us the future before it took place. Because not only did God do this through Jesus, God did this through many other things, many other aspects of prophecy were fulfilled in scripture. And you can read through that, but the, the focus of those prophecies were upon Jesus, his life and his death and his resurrection. And how God spoke is also spoken of in, uh, by Paul in 2 Timothy 3.16. Uh, he says uh, that all scripture was given by inspiration of God. And that is... The, the word there for inspiration is uh, breathed out as if it was God's breath. <laughs> and God, God claims scripture as his word. And because he claims it and because we have a more sure word through prophecy, we can believe that it is indeed God who speaks. So God speaks and uh, our God is a speaking God. And this has been so from the beginning. 
If you've started a Bible reading plan, I know you made it to at least the first verse, (laughs) right? God speaks everything into existence. He didn't have to speak things into existence, but he did. God gave Adam and Eve instructions. He didn't have to give them instructions, but he did. He gave those instructions verbally. (laughs) He spoke to them. But apart from Adam and Eve, the next voice speaking to men is not God's. It's somebody bringing doubt to God's word. So just as confident as we can be that God speaks, we can also be confident that the devil is also speaking. Notice in uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, but there, were also false, uh, but there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. False prophets are not new. Uh, ever since God said, you shall not eat of this tree, there was a serpent saying, are you sure <laughs> you shouldn't eat of this tree? Somebody bringing doubt into what God said. Has God said was the beginning of the first line of deception that the enemy has brought. And he hasn't given up on that. He continues to want us to doubt what God has said. The false prophets aren't new. They, they were, there were also false prophets among uh, the people. That phrase, the people, uh, probably is in reference to when uh, the exodus took place. Uh, Moses had this people of God being rescued by God, and he was leading the way in that process. And when they brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, not just Israelites came out, but there were other people who were, even though they were amongst the community of the people of God, didn't love and serve the Lord. They were always the first to complain, ah, things were better in Egypt. We had leeks and onions. (laughs) They forgot about, you know, making bricks without straw. (laughs) Like, we should go back. We shouldn't listen. Who made this guy in charge of us? We shouldn't, li- you know, there was all kinds of, and, and even after then, there were people who came up and were false prophets. And, and God even warned, this warning of false prophets wasn't, this is not the first warning of false prophets. The first warning of false prophets was given by Moses to the people of Israel uh, in, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 13 and chapter 18. He talks about, don't follow the false prophets because what they're going to try to lead you in is uh, in the false religions of the lands that we're taking in. They're, they're going to want you to be like the world that you're living in. And, and they're going to come in the name of God, but they're going to tell you to live like the world. Uh, in Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 through 4, he says, If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes to pass of which... He spoke to you saying, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer of dreams. Verse four, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. Uh, Deuteronomy 18, verse 9, he says, uh, When you come into the land which the Lord God is giving you, 
you shall not learn to follow the abominations of these nations. Verse 14 of Deuteronomy 18. For these nations which you uh, will dispossess listened to soothsayers and diviners, but as for you, the Lord has not appointed such for you. The Lord your God will rise up for you a prophet like me in your midst uh, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. So there would be people who would come in the name of the Lord and tell them, let's learn what the world is doing and do it their way. Let's listen to those people and follow them. And God was saying, I'm taking them out of this world specifically because of the things they were doing. And this is not for you. Uh, and the false prophets that he warned about did come uh, even during times when God was going to bring judgment. Uh, during the time of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was the prophet that God used to speak to God's people right before they would go into captivity into Babylon. Uh, they had been disobedient to God uh, for a very long time. Uh, I think about 490 years of continual disobedience of not giving the land its rest every seven years. And because they didn't give the land rest every seven years for 490 years, the land deserved a rest of 70 years. Uh, so if you're a disobedient nation, the timeout period is 70 years. And Jeremiah's saying this. He's like, hey, God's coming. You see that nation coming that's destroying every nation in its path? It's not going to stop at our borders. It's going to destroy us. And there were uh, four or five prophets during the time of Jeremiah who were saying, uh, this is not going to be so. They're going to come all the way up to the border. And Jeremiah took on him a, a wooden, took on himself a wooden yoke uh, and said, we're going to be under their yoke. And then these false prophets took that yoke and broke it in half and like, we will not be under that <laughs> yoke. And Jeremiah responded, you know, you said that they would, this, it would be broken, and they're going to replace it with an iron one, one that cannot be broken, because this isn't from man, but this is from the Lord. And so there were those who were telling people what they wanted to hear, that you can live in disobedience to God, and God's not going to do anything about it. And they were like, yeah, God's not going to do anything about it. All these hard things that are going to come because of disobedience might be true for others, but it's not going to be true for you. And Jeremiah's message was, no, as, God, as God's people, we will still experience God's correction. It wasn't destruction, but it was punishment. You were disobedient, and now you're going to experience this. And it's in that context that Jeremiah shares one of the verses that uh, we often like to quote during hard times, and is that God has a plan for us. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, plans of a future and a hope. He was saying that as their nation was being taken away into captivity. He had to tell them that because they may have thought that, nope, God hates me forever now. <laughs> there is no hope for me. So Jeremiah went from saying, God's going to judge you, to God's going to bring you out of that. It's not forever, but it is for now. And it was in contrast to all of these people who were telling the people and the king what they wanted to hear. They were false prophets who were of their own minds, coming up with in their own imaginations, and telling people the things that they wanted to hear. Paul warns of people like that. He says to preach the gospel because there's a time coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. They'll raise up for themselves teachers who will tickle their ears, basically tell them what they want to hear.
And so there was even Moses experienced a little bit of these false prophets who would produce these uh, fake signs and wonders. Remember the first time Moses went into uh, Pharaoh and was like, let my people go. And he's like, Pharaoh's like, who are you? And I'm not letting your people go, but who is this God? And, and remember God gave him a couple signs. One of the signs was to throw his staff down and it turned into a serpent. And then Moses's magicians, his soothsayers and his wise men, they also threw their staffs down and they became snakes. And then Moses's staff ate their staffs. <laughs> God's trying to give them a hint. Um, but they were able to reproduce fake versions of the real thing. And even Moses was withstood, and they, they were able to reproduce some of the curses. Why, why would you want to do I don't know. But like they, Moses turned water into blood, and they're like, oh, we can do the same. It's like, you're taking the only water that now we can drink and turn that into blood too. Great, thanks. <laughs> Not helpful. But they were imitating the truth. They were counterfeit in their uh, abilities to do what only God can do. Uh, Peter says that false prophets aren't new. They've always existed amongst God's people from the devil in the garden uh, all throughout the whole Old Testament. But he says, even as that was, so there will be false teachers among you. And in the time that Peter was writing, uh, Peter uh, and uh, Paul even experienced those false prophets who were among them. Uh, one, his name was Simon the Sorcerer, and he had, you know, got the attention of the local gov governor. And uh, in Acts uh, chapter, uh, where are we at? I think it's chapter 13. Yeah. Acts chapter, oh, no, sorry. Acts chapter 8. Uh, this guy, Simon, wanted this power so that he can continue to be in power. And he saw... Uh, the power that Paul had to do miracles, which God was using to confirm the message that he was preaching. And he's like, I want this power also. And he offered him money for it. And, uh, but he was, he was not wanting it for the right reason. Uh, later on in the book of Acts, we're, we're told of another guy, Elimus, uh, who had done the same with his local government official that, you know, hey, uh, I want to do this. And he started actually opposing Paul. Instead of trying to join Paul to get the power, he started opposing him. And, and, and Paul put him in the dark for a little bit, uh, allowed him to be blind for a, a time so that he would understand that there's, there's an authority structure and that, that God's power is greater. But there was those who were opposing and even trying to sneak in and for money's sake and for power's sake have authority within the body of Christ. There will be false teachers among you. Paul also warned of false teachers when he was uh, visiting uh, not the whole church in, in Ephesus, but just the leaders of the church. He told them uh, in Acts chapter 28, verse 29 and 30, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. They wanted what was only rightfully God's, the attention and the glory. Uh, I had a, an interesting discussion with my kids last night uh, about uh, good guys and bad guys, because that's the age my kids are at. <laughs> and they're like, 
what, do, what makes a bad guy a bad guy? A bad guy is somebody who wants good things for bad reasons. A, a, a bad guy is somebody who wants good things for bad reasons. So uh, I used a couple of illustrations with my kids. It's like, uh, like fire is a good thing, and fire on a candle for a birthday cake is a good spot for fire. Fire in your fireplace, good spot for your fire. Uh, fire everywhere else in your house, bad. <laughs> right? The whole house could be on fire. Water in my cup, water in my bathtub, water anywhere else in my house, all over the place, not good because the context matters. Bad guys want to take the fire and put it on the whole house. They want to take it out of the place that it's good. And so uh, these false teachers, uh, they want it to speak and rule God's people, but for themselves in their own glory. The devil, that's what he wanted. He wanted the glory that was only due God, which is a good glory, and he wanted it for himself. He wanted a good thing in a bad, pla <laughs> in a, in a bad place. He wanted to take it out of what God had ordered it in. And what makes somebody good is that they want the good thing in the good place, but we do that according to God's word. And the world in which we live in wants all the good things, but in the wrong places. They want to take uh, what God has intended for only the context of marriage and take it everywhere else. They want to take the, the differences that are in our society be, in, in economic status between people, and they want to use that to oppress one rather than to lift one. They want to take uh, words which are powerful and instead of speaking truth, speaks lies. Jesus made it very clear to uh, some of the people he was speaking with. He said, you speak lies and you're speaking on behalf of the father of lies, the devil. Which means that there's the way the truth and the life is Jesus and the father of lies is the devil. And when we're speaking the truth, we're speaking on behalf of the Lord because he is the way, the truth and life. And when we're not speaking the truth, we are speaking on behalf of somebody else. And there's not really a middle to think that there's a middle is, is to believe the lie, <laughs> that there's a middle. And these false prophets that he warned about weren't going to be outside of the church, wreaking havoc outside of the church. They were inside of the church, wreaking havoc inside of the church. Uh, the devil doesn't need to lie to those who are deceived and don't have the truth. They're already deceived. Who he speaks to, these lies, are God's people. And I'm not sure if you've ever had a wrestle with the truth of God's word in comparison to how you felt in a moment. Uh, but sometimes these lies are more personal uh, in that, uh, I'll give a brief example. My, in my own life, when I had sinned and did something I shouldn't have done, the enemy was right there speaking the lie. God hates you. God condemns you. There's no hope for you. And, and those things just aren't true but it felt true, like that's how it felt. And I had to reconcile the way I felt with what scripture says is true. What scripture says is true is there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The scripture says that he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness if we confess our sins. He says that I'm accepted in the beloved. He says that he will present me as righteous before the Father. That's not how I felt. 
had done this terrible thing and the, the devil was right there saying, God doesn't love you, God hates you, God condemns you. There's no forgiveness for you, there's no hope for you. Those aren't true, but it, it felt true. And I had to reconcile the way I felt with what God says was true. And I had, I had to <laughs> just live in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And sometimes, even though we know it's a lie, it, it's still a battle to stand in the truth. But it's impossible to win that battle if you don't know the truth. The, the world outside of us who know and are convinced of their own sin, they, they've got that part of the biblical picture right, but are unaware of God's love, God's forgiveness. He's lied to them too. He's like, all right, I'll, I'll let you believe that you're a sinner, but I want you to know that God doesn't love you. And when they're looking for hope, I was at a, another store this last weekend uh, helping out uh, doing some inventory prep, and I was talking to the cashier, and he was tired the first day I talked to him. I'm like, oh, man. He's like, yeah, I didn't sleep that well last night. And next day I saw him. I'm like, hey, or did you get more sleep last night? He's like, no. I'm like, what's keeping you up? He's like, I just I can't sleep. I've got all these things on my mind. And I don't, I don't really have any friends out here because he grew up in the Bay Area and he moved out here and there's like, you know, less people. <laughs> he's like, in the Bay, you could just walk down the street and make friends. But out here, it's just like, where's everybody? And he's like in his late 20s and there's not a lot of single late 20-year-olds out here. And he was just hopeless. And I was like, man, I've, I've been where you're at in part. Where I'm like, what am I doing with my life? And I remember that I'm doing what the Lord wants me to do with my life. I'm like, oh, okay, crisis averted. But then also, there was an earlier point in my life, and I shared this with him. I was like, I was living for me, and it was terrible. Not just for me, but for everybody around me. I'm like, do you, do you go to church? And he's like, ah, I kind of grew up Catholic, but I don't really go anywhere. I'm like, man, you got to get, you know, there's hope. He, he couldn't sleep because there was no peace. There was no peace because all he had were lies. Peter describes these false prophets briefly. What they do is they secretly bring in destructive heresies. Uh, so what that means is when they come in, they don't wear a shirt that says heretic offering heresy. <laughs> it's not how they come. Uh, the book of Jude is very similar to Second Peter. Uh, he says that they creep in or they already have crept in, which means scripturally these guys are creeps. They're here, but they're not advertising it. And they, they, don't, they don't go for the healthy sheep in the middle. They pick off the, the sick ones on the outside edges. They don't advertise why they're there, but they're bringing in. And what they bring in is not just heresies. Heresies is just wrong ways of thinking or wrong teaching. They bring in destructive heresies. Not that there aren't heresies that aren't destructive, but the ones they're bringing in in particular destroy lives. They present false hope. Like the false prophets of Jeremiah's day who said, God's not going to judge us. You know, plant vineyards, do, do it life as you've always done. And they're, you know, weeks away from being taken into captivity. Their lies destroy lives. It's the world we live in around us, but that, that's what false teachers and false prophets do in the church. They wreak havoc in that way. They secretly bring in destructive heresies. Uh, and how 
we can spot them is by what they say. They deny the Lord. They say in some way that God's word doesn't mean what it says, but they've got a more sure word than what God's word says, and that their interpretation and their understanding of life is uh, of greater importance, and we should live according to their standard and submit to them and give to them the things they want. What this is going to result in for them, and we'll look at this more in detail next week as we get into the rest of chapter 2, is what they do to themselves is not only are they destroying the lives of everyone around them, the end there of verse 1, it says they bring on themselves swift destruction. The lives that they live will blow up in their faces. But in the meantime, they're, they're blowing up the lives of everybody around them. And so it's important. That if God speaks, but the devil speaks too, that then it's important, as our sermon title was, is my last point rapidly, is that it is important for Christians to heed God's word. Uh, to heed simply means to hear and do. It, there's a difference between just hearing and hearing and doing. And if you're a parent of a teenager or are old enough to remember when you were a teenager, you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Did you hear me? Uh-huh. <laughs> then why aren't you doing? <laughs> James says, uh, don't be hearers of the word only, but doers. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount compared uh, the hearing and doing of God's word to those who just heard God's word uh, between two men who built two houses, one upon a rock and another upon sand. And the man who built his, hand, his house upon a rock didn't escape storms. Storms came just as well as they came for the man on the sand. But when the storm came, because his house was built upon a rock, his house st stood. The man who didn't lost everything. And the difference between the two men wasn't that one heard the word and one didn't hear the word. Both men heard the word. It's the one who heard and, and believed the truth. <laughs> His house stood on the rock. Verse 19 again, he says, You do well to heed. He describes heeding God's word in the same way uh, of light, in, in, in the same way that light uh, has power over the darkness. He says, as a light that shines in a dark place. Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. One of my favorite verses. It's a lamp unto my feet. It shows me where I'm at. It's a light unto my path. It shows me where to go. What, what's the next step? And in the same way that your headlights on your car don't light up the entire path between here and where you're going to go in the dark, but it does light up the path right in front of you so you can know where to go next. God's word does the same. It's not going to tell you what to do for the next 20 years, but it will tell you what you need to do today. It will show you where you're at. It will show you where you need to go. Again, the words of Moses from Deuteronomy 18.15, Him you shall hear, listening to Jesus. Peter heard that same word, uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, according to Mark 9, verse 7. This is my beloved son, hear him. And it's not just the hearing of the words that's meaningful. It's the actually believing in the, the following through and walking in them. And uh, the reason why this is important to me as a under-shepherd uh, in this fellowship is because I, I 
was thinking about David when he was talking to Saul, uh, when Goliath was there. You remember the story? Goliath is like, send out your champion, and nobody's, everybody's like, how about not me? <laughs> and David's like delivering snacks, and he's like, why not me? And it's not because I'm big and awesome, but it's because God is big and awesome, and he can use even me. And Saul was like, all right, well, we'll send you, but, you know, here's my armor. And David tries it on, and he's like, this doesn't fit me. And he's like, but God has delivered both lion and uh, bear into my hands in his protection of sheep. And if you're a sheep and unaware of lions and bears, that's not safe. (laughs) And if you're a shepherd, your job is to be aware of lions and bears, especially when they're amongst the sheep. (laughs) And this is what Peter is saying is always going to be the reality of when God's people gather that there will be liars and false prophets and false teachers among them. And what they will attempt to do is what he describes in verse 2, is that many will follow their destructive ways. All I have in my resources as a pastor is what is described really that Paul does in Romans 12. He says, I beseech you, therefore. He's like, I beg you, please. (laughs) He's begging you, please don't. Follow the ways of the world, but present yourself as a living sacrifice to the Lord and allow the word of God to renew your minds. But he's begging them. He can't make them. <laughs> he's only got his words. And with his words, he's, he begs them, please hear God's word and allow God's word to change the way you think, knowing that many will follow. Paul warned of the same in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Jesus warned of the same that uh, in Matthew 24, verse 11. Uh, then many false prophets will arise and deceive many. Matthew 24, verse 24. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Being on guard is possible when we have the light of God's word in our heart. No amount of darkness can extinguish the light. And God's word is a light for us so that we can see things as they are from God's perspective. And it's a gift to us. It's a more sure word for us. We can be confident that God has spoken so that we can discern the lie when it comes. I'm going to close in a word of prayer and invite uh, Max back up to lead us in a closing song. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for you and for the power of your word. The power of the truth uh, cannot be extinguished. uh, And yet we know that uh, for every one person declaring the truth, there are are many proclaiming lies, lies that are are significant in their impact for those who follow them. Lord, I pray for each one here, Lord, that we would allow your word to define our lives, Lord, to define the things in our lives as good or bad, right or wrong, better and worse, Lord, that it would be your word and not anyone else's that is a light unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, we ask that you would help us with our words to be a light to the world around us. Lord, I think of that young man that I spoke with who
couldn't sleep because he has no peace, because all he has are lies. Lord, I pray that he would come to know the truth. Lord, that the truth would set him free. Lord, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And Lord, we have you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yours is 
Father, we do thank you for you, Lord, for uh, not only being the truth, but speaking the truth, Lord, for giving the truth to us. Uh, Lord, when Jesus was here, he said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Lord, it's not a work that we've done, but it's the work you've, you've done. The, the truth is that we are sinners, and that you are the Savior. Lord, the truth is that if we confess you and believe on you in our heart that Jesus has died for our sins and risen from the grave, that we shall be saved. Lord, your word declares that all who call on you shall be saved. Lord, I pray that if there is any within the sound of my voice who have not called on you, Lord, that that would be today. Lord, that... Uh, For those of us who have been walking for years, Lord, that if there's a need for some fresh forgiveness, Lord, a fresh confession, Lord, that we would not leave this place without experiencing uh, you as faithful and just and the forgiver of our sins afresh. Lord, as your word uh, brings to light things in our own hearts that should not be there, Lord, that we would confess and forsake them. Lord, I pray that uh, we would have confidence in your word. Lord, that we would have the clarity of your word uh, at work in our lives, that we would not be deceived by the lies that are being spoken. Lord, we ask that you would be with each one of us today. Fill us with the, the joy of salvation. Lord, the joy of having a relationship with you. Lord, help us not only to hold that light for ourselves, but to be that light in the world that you've put us in. Lord, with our unsaved family and friends and coworkers, Lord, that the the truth of your word leading and lighting our life, Lord, would be a light to them as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. 